John Golia. I'm Greg Fife. And I'm Todd Curtis. And we are the Flight Safety Detectives. Between us, we have over a century of aviation accident investigation and safety experience to draw on as we discuss issues that affect all of us. So we are qualified to share our perspectives on accidents and incidents and what can be learned from them for the future. We're proud to say that we have two sponsors that really relate to the topic of aviation safety. The Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, or PAMA, and Avemco Insurance. Later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can get a 5% discount on your insurance just for listening to the show. We don't just dissect the official reports. In every episode, we identify safety issues and take the mystery out of accident investigations. So maybe pilots in their planes can have safer flights ahead. Well, hello, John. It is another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Uh, we are missing one of the detectives. He is lost in space or in the air or somewhere. But uh, we do have a, a guest today that uh, is definitely able to fill in for Todd. Uh, we're going to be able to talk about a lot of good stuff because uh, he is a very close friend to you and I. And unfortunately, I had to put up with both you and him in a very high position at the NTSB, but we'll get more into that. But one of the first things I want to do is start off with uh, the fact that we lost a very good friend of ours, uh, Richard McSpadden, who uh, was just the, a prince of a guy and definitely uh, a safety advocate uh, for AOPA. Um, he, he really contributed a lot to aviation safety, especially on the general aviation side. And amongst a lot of his accolades, many of his accolades, he was the commander of the Thunderbirds. So he was a very accomplished aviator. He was a very knowledgeable aviator. I'm, I'm very honored to have called him my friend. We talked about aviation uh, issues all the time. He did host the, uh, the Air Safety Foundation uh, show that uh, dissected accidents. And we, we always talked about the accidents and what we should talk about or what he should talk about. So uh, we lost a, a great safety advocate, John. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, he was out and about everywhere uh, trying to do his thing. You know, uh, sometimes I say what we do, you, I, there's a bunch of people, being Captain Sullenberg, we're like preachers. Uh, we go out and talk about the safety events and talk safety to people. And uh, you know, we feel like a preacher on Saturday or Sunday delivering the message. And everybody sits there nodding their head. And then what happens? Yeah. Accidents happen over and over and over every week. And 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 you and I talk about this all the time, especially when Todd's on the show and we dissect accidents. And I've been preaching the message about training accidents of the recent past because I'm tracking them because I do sit on the board of directors for the National Association of Flight Instructors. And I'm really concerned about the training accidents and the, the escalation, not only of those types of accidents, but the failure rates of all certificates and ratings with uh, with, um, you know, new pilots or even accomplished pilots. 
So one of the big issues, of course, is what's going on in the training environment. And in tracking those kinds of accidents, our guest today, who I will let you definitely introduce, since uh, you'll make it entertaining, I'm sure. Uh, we all have stories about Dick, but um, you know he is—he has been tracking uh, a number of these flight instruction accidents. So why don't you introduce our guest, John? Hi. So Dick Healing was uh, uh, a military safety officer or, or worker bee for the for the Navy and Marine Corps, and he has made numerous safety improvements, especially on the helicopter side, and uh, uh, was probably instrumentally responsible for uh, the Marine Corps giving those little oxygen canisters to the Marines on the helicopters, assault helicopters, because typically when they crashed, they went upside down, and these young guys couldn't get out in time, and they would drown in an otherwise survivable event. and. Uh, so he did yeoman's duty on that to uh, get that change. And I served with him on the board at the NTSB. And for, for oh man, so over 10 years, we really pushed hard on safety improvements, uh, maybe to our own detriment, because <laughs> well, some people, didn't, some people didn't like the pushing that we did. Well, the good thing is you guys pushed, and given the fact that you know, we talk about it all the time and we're very critical of the NTSB now. Um, it's evident that, you know, again, we lost a lot of good, solid board members who wanted to do the right thing, wanted to make sure the board did the right thing. And now um, with all of us being out in private industry, we've had the good fortune of being able to work together on an accident that I think, John, you and I have mentioned on a previous show. And we just talked about actually doing an entire show about this accident that the three of us are working on involving a uh, Mooney that crashed up in Minnesota, where immediately, not only by all of the internet trolls and pundits out there who wrote it off to spatial disorientation, but even the NTSB wrote it off to spatial disorientation without doing a very complete investigation. So we're planning to do an entire show on all of the things that the three of us did to investigate that accident and show what the NTSB failed to identify, which are safety critical issues, not only to Mooney pilots, but to aviation in general. So welcome to the show, Dick. We're glad that you're here. And um, we know that with uh, with your background and you've been involved with, uh, with a lot of different projects, uh, one of the projects uh, involves the uh, school in which a young lady who was a uh, very accomplished flight instructor from the standpoint of having gone to school, um, she was top of her class. She was involved in an aircraft accident about uh, this time last year in which she was flying with two male students down in Hampton, Virginia. And apparently there was an issue in the cockpit and the, the airplane pitched up to a very dr dramatic nose up attitude. She wasn't able to control it since they were at low altitude and the recovery wasn't able to be made. They ended up striking the ground right off the side of the runway. She was killed. And uh, I think both of those uh, passenger or one of the student pilots and an observer survived, if I remember correctly. And it, it was one of those accidents where it caught my attention because I'm tracking 
uh, flight instruction accidents all over the uh, country. Um, the flight instruction accident rate is just sky high right now. There was another one uh, recently involving a multi-engine instructor, a young multi-engine instructor, relatively new, teaching a brand new multi-engine student. And they lost the airplane. And there's dramatic video on the internet of that airplane spiraling to the ground. And so the big concern now is what's going on? And I know that you've been down to Hampton. You're working on a project. Why don't you give us a little understanding of what's going on and what you found? Well, uh, thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you. Uh, the uh, accident happened exactly one year ago today, October 6th of uh, 2022. And the young woman was number one in her class. And I had been down uh, the previous year to give her a scholarship grant, which she used to add to her flying hours and so forth to earn her CFI, which uh, she had done in April of uh, 2022. And, and all, all that really happened, I think you summarized it quite well. Uh, she had two young men in the airplane with her, neither of whom had even been in an airplane before. So it was their first experience leaving the ground. And it was quite clear that uh, the inexperience of her being a very new CFI and very young uh, and trusting uh, and wanting other people to have the enthusiasm and excitement that she did, she probably went a little bit further than she should have in letting this young man uh, reach the controls or talk to the, touch the controls before she had a chance to show him a little bit about what the airplanes and flying were about before giving him some con some control authority in the airplane. So uh, sadly, she she died. As a result of that, I was down at Hampton University. Uh, we we did a uh, we did a. a uh, a meeting, a virtual meeting with a bunch of people from various places, including uh, flight flight recorders. One of the things that I had said was this would be a very different accident investigation if there was a recorder in there, even if there was just a voice recorder to record the sounds of uh, what was going on, the struggle for control of the airplane and so forth. Um, Result of that was uh, I worked with uh, the, the program that I was working with is a Barber Foundation, and we award scholarships to aviation career students in 11 schools right now. But typically, we get the top one and two in their aviation programs. <clears throat> and uh, so what, what I had done was I rounded up a couple of Barber scholars from different schools and uh, we scanned uh, 3,400 more or less uh, instructional NTSB accident reports of instructional accidents from 2006 to 2022. Uh, we, scanned that, we scanned that many so that we could develop a five-year average of accidents that occurred in the instructional community. Uh, from 2010 to 2022. And hey, Dick, let me just stop you right there. And in going through those 3,400 accidents, what what were you looking for? Well, the 3,400, I was only looking for two or three things. First of all, how many accidents were there each year? How many of those accidents were fatal accidents? And how many fatalities were there? From, from the, that was to get the five-year average of those particular statistics. 
And then from 2010 to 2022, we drilled down further into the reports to find out what were the probable causes. And we looked for the eight, uh, we, we categorized eight most probable causes, things like pilot error and things like mechanical error, things like fuel, uh, people that uh, didn't, didn't have enough fuel in the airplane or did something that wasn't uh, accurate, didn't know what they were about to run out of fuel, stuff like that. And we also uh, looked at various other things, but one of the things that was most commonly mentioned, the most common error was pilot error. That's And that's for uh, some instructional accidents are when a solo pilot is in the airplane. So there's a pilot, but no instructor with him in the airplane, but but the person is on a solo flight uh, and sometimes in contact by radio with his instructor or whatever, by cell phone with his or her instructor. And so the result of that was, uh, what was really amazing to me was that the high number of the second most prevalent cause of the accident was instructor's error instructor failure to react in time. And uh, so we analyzed all of those things and, and went down and put together some graphs that show exactly what percentage of all the accidents that occurred uh, in that in that time period were from each of those causes. Where we can we find, I, I know that you, you extensively dug into this and, and you yeah. came up with these causes. You know, and one of the, the big things is with all this research that you've been doing and, and you continue to do, where is this information being presented? I know that you probably fed it back to, to Hampton University, but is there a bigger scale audience that uh, you can feed this information to? Well, I, I did contact NAFI, uh, the National Association of Flight Instructors, and they seem very interested in, in fact, uh, Aaron Dabney, who's a safety guy, said he, he was really interested in it. He said, we've been looking for stuff like this. And, you know, and, and so he and I did not, we, we connected here and there along the way, but it was uh, something always seemed to cause us to not really follow through. But I prepared. Okay, well, I'm, I'm making it a point. We're going to follow through since <laughs> I, I sit on the board with, with Aaron. So we'll sure. definitely follow through with that. Yeah. Um, with with regard to trying to present this information in a real time feedback, um, I know that you're doing something with uh, another aviation organization and who's having a summit that's coming up just like NAFI. At British Airways, we're recruiting in our ground operations team at London Heathrow. You'll have bags of responsibility as a valued colleague below the wing of our aircraft. Every touchdown and takeoff would not be possible without our brilliant team. So this is your chance to make a real difference and showcase your original skills and talents. New joiners will receive a £1,000 sign-on bonus, along with staff travel benefits from day one. Plus, we offer world-class training and career development opportunities. Bonus terms and conditions apply. Visit ba.com slash careers and apply now. Yeah, the uh, uh, historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, that have aviation programs have a summit. So the HBCU Aviation Summit is at Hampton University this year, uh, and it's November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. And uh, they've asked me to come down to, not to talk about what we were just speaking about, but basically to present two scholarships to two of their top students uh, this year. And so I'll be down there on November 2nd. But uh, the idea really is they're trying to share their information with each other on how to improve their 
their uh, safety programs and, and they're basically how to overall improve their aviation programs. And that's great. And, and NAFI has also got a summit coming up at the end of October where we are going to be addressing safety issues. We're going to be talking about a variety of different things with flight instruction or flight, flight training in general um, to try and give back and at least identify where we need to be spending more time and awareness with regard to flight training, flight training issues, um, there's going to be a number of presentations and discussions about the failure rates. Uh, we're seeing a very high level of failure rates through all certificate and rating levels, and we're trying to find what's going on. But we're also trying to encourage those that are already in aviation or, or having an interest in aviation to continue um, that interest, but do it at a very safe level and how they can do that. So. Um, I think uh, the combined effort with what you've been doing uh, with Hampton, with that information, um, I think would be very beneficial. And I'm definitely going to follow up with you so that I can incorporate that because I'll be one of the presenters there um, so that we can we can get that ball rolling and get your input, because I think it is very valuable. And, you know, from a military standpoint, one of the things that I've always been concerned with, especially right now, is there tends to be a lack of operational discipline. Um, you as a, a, as a military pilot, you know the, the importance of, of operational discipline. As a flight instructor, you have to have operational discipline. But again, you know, you do that under controlled circumstances. I know I'm going for a check ride. Yeah, operational discipline. I'm going to follow checklist. I'm going to do all these things. But then you get off into your own little environment, your own little world. Nobody's really looking over your shoulder anymore. And that operational discipline seems to wane a little bit. When when you're dealing with, you know, especially young people who are getting into the business, what are the points that you're trying to emphasize to ensure their safety? I guess the the point that the point that is uh, probably the the one that we try to make stronger than anything else is that the rules exist for a reason. Every one of them was uh, was founded on the basis of a tragedy, something that went wrong and what, what we needed to do to correct that. So the, the rules, if you follow the rules and you follow the practices in which you're trained every flight, every day, uh, you have every every reason to expect you you will have a safe flight. You will you will land safely as many times as you take off, and that real, I think that's one of the one of the key things uh, when you talk about things that are uh, distractions and so forth. One of the things that I felt the military did an extraordinary job was compartmentalization, and that is that when you set foot in the airplane, you're in a different environment. And you need to pay attention to that environment that you're in and exclude all your distractions and other thoughts. Uh, you know, one of the things that happens, let's face it, in, uh, in life, there are people that find themselves with stress. You know, a divorce comes along or a death in the family or something comes along and they're distracted. And there are a number of accidents that are related to people that uh, for uh, get rid of or stop compartmentalizing and putting that aside while they're flying the airplane. So those are the those are probably the the key things. Just focus on what you do. Yeah, all John. The- I'm sorry, Dick. Yeah, John and I talk about this all the time. Especially he he closes our show with uh, with regard to doing a proper and thorough pre flight and really being plugged in. And and I know he emphasizes those kinds of points in the maintenance 
area as well, because again, just because, you know, you fly it doesn't mean it can't happen where you fix it or where you manage it. And and John is very good at, at bringing those points out. And I'm sure that he brought a lot of those points out in your discussion when we were all at the NTSB together. Yeah, we did pretty good, didn't we, John? <laughs> I mean, the military has a big advantage in that area in as much as that, you know, when you first get into the military, they teach you discipline. And if you push back, they teach you discipline. <laughs> so they have your attention. In the civilian world, the discipline's not there. I see it on a daily, daily, uh, almost daily, the current FBOs. The discipline is not there. I've done informal surveys on, on walk-arounds of airplanes, pre-flights, and uh, you know, just looking out the window, so to speak, at, at the people doing their pre-flights will make you sick how, how poorly they're done. And that's an opportunity to prevent an accident. And the discipline's not there. And I see it in corporate uh, pilots as well sometimes. You know, I, I had the opportunity to have a, a, a high-level seat in a FBO, and I look out the window right down into the cockpit of, the, of corporate airplanes getting ready, and in two minutes, the checklist done. Being thing, because they brought it in or it's their airplane, and the switch, they assume the switches and everything's left in the same position. <laughs> the word assume means. Yeah, John, I remember I remember one of the things that you taught me a long time ago was that uh, in the NTSB, you get the opportunity to ride the jump seat now and then. And uh, that you you basically said that there were some pairs of pilot and co-pilot that had flown together enough that they no longer said the items on the checklist, you know, uh, whatever it is, set the flaps to 20 or whatever it is. And then they repeated back flaps 20. You know, uh, you you noted that these guys were using hand signals instead yep. of instead of articulating or saying the checklist item and and your comment to them was for god's sakes say it <laughs> oh, yeah. i pushed on you know i flew in the cockpit a lot and i would push on them you know one of the one of the things that at uh, us air at the time uh the, the uh, pilots would get a, an altitude from air traffic control so the captain's flying the airplane the first officer's hand went he reaches up and changes the number, and he points at it. Never articulates it, just points at it. Sometimes the pointing wasn't even, you know, really close. You know, mm -hmm. waves his hand. And, you know, and I, I would tell them, if you have an accident now, if something goes wrong, the NTSB is going to tell your family that you screwed up on the altitude because there's no record of what you just did. <laughs> yeah, and then, and I think that goes... And John, you bring that bring that up because that goes to Dick's point. And I mean, while we are fortunate to have the cockpit voice recorder and a flight data recorder on, you know, larger transport airplanes, turbine powered aircraft, we really need it in general aviation. And it's no longer the excuse that we don't have the technology. We have the technology. We have the capability. And it's when it comes to privacy issues, um, I, I think that if nothing else, if you're in an instructional environment where you are 
basically training a pilot, whether they go into the airline business or business aviation or whatever, there should be a professional decorum. And therefore, we should be capturing what's going on in that cockpit for the purpose that if there is a serious incident or accident, we can identify those shortcomings in the training uh, or the training environment or policies, procedures, and, and training curriculum so that we can correct that and reduce this uh, training accident uh, rate that's right now going sky high. That's no question about that, Greg. And then, you know, the, one of the recommendations that uh, we were talking with Hampton University about following their accident was installing some sort of flight recorders. Uh, there, there are flight recorders that in the military, they always resisted flight recorders. They didn't want Big Brother watching them. It was always too big, too heavy, or too expensive. And these days, something that's smaller than a pack of cigarettes that weighs about four to five ounces will do all that job for you. And adding a camera in the cockpit, some people take pictures of the instruments and by just they don't need to wire every single instrument into their flight recorder. They can see what's going on in the cockpit. They hear the voices. They understand what's going on. And uh, the, the military has, over the last several years, has put flight recorders on, but they're still, with the exception of the large commercial-like multi-engine aircraft, uh, typically the fighter planes do not have a voice recorder. And I was a big advocate for that in the military, and I still think they need to do it because uh, I think, as you say, in the instructional community, you've got an instructor who's being paid to do that job of training uh, an individual who is a, wants to be a pilot. And, and sometimes just the way the words they use or however they, they manage that, there's something for instructors to learn about their own technique and, te and, and ability to communicate effectively with a student. That's a two-way street. And so uh, there's no reason not to do that on, on a, it, it is a commercial flight in the sense that the instructor uh, is being paid to uh, perform a training, a training evolution with a student that wants to learn. Uh, with that going on, that's, to me, that's commercial and, and that should be recorded. Uh, private, private aircraft where an individual goes for a, you know, a flight on their own airplane or whatever, that's, that's a different story. But when you're being paid to conduct a training evolution, it seems to me that recording it is not just a good idea, it's probably one of the better ideas. And you bring up a good point about communication. And John and I have talked in, uh, ad nauseum about communication and the lack thereof in a variety of different settings as they relate to the cause or contributing factor to an accident. I'm always talking, especially when I'm giving safety presentations to pilots and CFIs, that being a CFI, this is the perfect place to start to hone your captain skills, your CRM skills, because you have to employ crew resource management skills as a flight instructor. You have to be a good communicator. You have to be a good mentor. You have to be a good instructor. You have to be able to convey messages. You have to be able to evaluate performance. You have to be able to do all of these things and now is the time to hone those skills as a flight instructor, because when you're sitting in the left seat of a 777 or a G650, you're going to be doing the same thing with a brand new co-pilot. And that is mentoring, evaluating, communicating, doing all of those things 
that you know you're doing as a flight instructor and and i i tell these uh young people this is where you work on that professional discipline that operational discipline start this is where you can hone it this is where you can fix it and like you said dick you know if we can evaluate where there were shortcomings you know, trying to learn lessons from those accidents and serious incidents so that they don't happen again. So somebody will have uh, the ability to enhance their awareness or change the way they teach or the way they communicate. I mean, that's the benefit to aviation safety through what we try to do and what we try to learn from accidents and incidents. It's not just uh, it's not just that learning from accidents and incidents, the good, the beauty of a flight data recorder uh, that is a, that is present during a flight and something happens that the pilot doesn't understand or doesn't react properly to and they they come back and make a safe landing the instructor and the pilot can review that in a debrief and say well this is what happened here's how it happened here's what we did wrong or right when we reacted to this this is exactly what happened and you learn from the non-accidents and and you fortunately learn that in time to prevent uh, what could very well lead to an accident. And that's the benefit of it. That's flight data monitoring, FDM programs, uh, FOQA in the airlines. Let's face it, the, the current aviation safety record, commercial airline safety record in the United States is phenomenal. It's like knock on wood. We got to make sure that it keeps going. But one of the basic reasons is that they established flight data monitoring, uh, SMS, safety management systems that includes FOQA and flight data monitoring from the from the bottom to the top. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. If if we get to the point of using it, it's available. It need, the issue for a lot of people is concern about their job and is there a just culture? And wherever there is a just culture where there's no, there's a, a simple a simple mistake is taught as a, uh, looked at as a lesson to be learned rather than you screwed up, you're fired kind of stuff. It's gotta be, let's learn from this. Let's get better as a result of it. And when you do that with a flight data monitoring program, it's, uh, it, it really is putting you on the, on the high road to excellence all the way. And, I, and, you know, that's, a, and that's a great segue. Sorry, John, go ahead. Team has done a really lousy job of, of uh, moving those programs down into the general aviation community even down to the level of the single pilot, they can be done. I mean, I hear them all the time. Oh, how am I going to do that? It's only one pilot. There's many, many ways to move it down. It's called awareness, and it's called identifying the tools that they could use. I mean, earlier today, we talked about as something as simple as a, as a GoPro in the cockpit. You're a single pilot, you're flying the airplane, you're the GoPro. I love that idea for two reasons. One, they, you can, the pilot can identify what's going on. If he has a problem, like you said, go back and revisit it. But secondly, it's going to look at the airplane and it's going to leave behind the wreckage. So, you know, we get this GA airplane crash and it has a fire. So we blame it on the pilot. Just go through those investigations. And, and very often they hit the easy button, as Greg says, <laughs> and the ESB hits the easy button and they've been there for unknown reasons. Well, they didn't even have to go out of the office to go get that probable cause. But if you have a, something as simple as a GoPro and they're looking at the instruments, now your family can have the peace of mind that, gee, wasn't my 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 son or my, my daughter or my husband or whoever 
uh, wasn't a bad pilot. He was piloting very well. The airplane had a problem, but it would have gone unidentified un, uh, without some form of a record in the airplane. I mean, it's just with with the tools and at Oshkosh, we, we, Greg and I, you and I talked to a number of, of organizations that have cigarette size uh, Velcro to the, to the instrument panel recorders. Yeah. It is crazy not to have something. I think one of them was like seven hundred dollars. Yep. I mean, a break. You're going to spend a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on an airplane. You don't put seven hundred dollar flight recorder in it. Yeah. No. I and and I think this is a great topic, uh, and it's a timely topic now that needs to have uh, more discussion or airtime because we're getting to the point now with the technology that are in these general aviation aircraft. And of course, the push to ram through pilots through these pilot factories. Um, we saw this wave years ago. We saw some of the results of that. Now we have this hiring wave again, and we're not necessarily turning out quality pilots as we are turning out quantity pilots. And that's why these rates are so high. And we have got to be able to turn out a quantity of very good quality pilots. And, and we're not doing that right now. Dick, I know that uh, you're flying off to dinner, so we don't want to keep you too much longer, but we intend to have you back on the show. We're definitely going to uh, put together our little expose on this accident that the three of us are working on, because I think it'll be of great interest to our audience. Um, there is a lot to be learned about the accident investigation process, both the benefits and the shortcomings, and then, of course, the enhancements of aviation safety through these lessons learned in the investigative process. So, uh, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to uh, to spend, you know, a little bit of time talking about what you're doing, especially down in Hampton and uh, with the, uh, um, you know, the summit and, and a variety of other things. And we look forward to having you because I want you to start thinking, because the first question I'm going to ask you the next time you're on the show, I want dirt on John when you guys were. There. <laughs> and I know there's a lot. You can't say, oh, he was stellar. He was the best board member. I know that to be a lie. <laughs> I was just talking to him last week about the Tiki bar. And the rest of that story remains to be told. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that one for sure. Thank you both. And we'll see you again. Would you send me the, the chats that you mentioned? in the program so we can put them in the uh, in the in the program okay i'll be glad to great thanks dick we'll talk to you thank soon. You very much talk soon bye-bye see you know you get him away from that computer. He's, you know, it's like an airplane, you know, he's hunting and packing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Dick was able to join us because uh, he is a wealth of knowledge. And, and again, you know, um, it is all about the, the continuance of asking why until you can't ask why anymore. And uh, that was the blessing that you and, uh, and Dick brought to the board was, you weren't willing to just concede when somebody gave you an answer. You kept asking why. And um, I sure wish we had that today at the NTSB because that seems to be one quality or characteristic that has waned uh, throughout the years. I, sometimes I wonder if, if COVID hasn't really exasperated that because you're no longer sitting together. You don't have that dynamics. 
you know, this video conferencing is one thing, but it's not nothing like sitting next to one another and having an active conversation back and forth. Yeah. Uh, you know, where sometimes you do step on one another and you do you do see each other, uh, not just the one that's talking. So yeah. it, it's a whole bunch of things going on that, that haven't made the system as good as it should be. Well, I think that uh, this was a very uh, in interesting show, I hope, for the audience. And uh, I look forward to carrying on our discussion with Dick because, uh, like I said, he is a wealth of knowledge. He brings a great perspective. And being a former board member of the NTSB, along with you, we look at that safety perspective all the time in everything we do. And it is about being more proactive than reactive. But we have to address both sides of that coin. So um, I'm glad that we had him on today. And uh, given the fact that we don't have Todd to leave us with uh, the second to the last word, um, before I turn it over to you, I just want to say again um, that our hearts go out to the family and, and friends of Richard McSpadden. Uh, he was just the prince of a guy. We sure will miss his input in aviation safety, especially on the general aviation side. And uh, AOPA is um, is going to have a celebration of life next Saturday in Frederick, Maryland. So you can probably go on the Internet and check that out if you want to participate or you're going to be in the Maryland area uh, to attend that celebration of life. So with that being said, John, I will leave you with our last word. And then I will do I will be preaching again the same things. If you're going to go flying do a good pre-planning session. Do it from home or the hotel room before you go to the airport. Do it again at the airport. Make sure you know the weather here, there, and everywhere in between. When you get out to your airplane, have the discipline to do a good pre-flight. That's your opportunity to prevent many of the problems that we see in accidents. That's your point to, to prevent them. If you don't think you're doing a good pre-flight, get a hold of a mechanic that works on the airplane and ask them to show you what are the critical things to look at. And make sure you do the, the cockpit checks before you leave. You know, we still have hundreds of airplanes every year running out of gas. Make sure you've got, got fuel. I mean, something as basic as fuel, and we still have accidents like that. And after you get in the air, we talked about all the students that are flying now, record numbers of students in the air, put that head on a swivel, know what's going on around you. Now, students are usually right around the airport, and that's a, that's a critical time, both coming and going. Make sure you're looking and listening to the radio the whole time you're in the terminal area. And please, please fly safely. Thank you for checking out our show. We really value our listeners and subscribers. Our podcast gets ranked by you and how much you like it. So please give us five stars in your podcast platform. We want to keep in contact with you. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can email the show at flightsafetydetectives at gmail.com. By the way, if you're on YouTube... We're really working on growing the channel, and it helps if you all send in comments. Please do that, and we read all the comments. And be sure to subscribe. Remember, if you're in the market for aviation insurance, you can save 5% with Avemco 
just by mentioning our show. Visit them at www.avemco.com. That's it for this episode of the Flight Safety Detective. Until the next episode, fly safe.